Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey everyone, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features Eloise Chung. She's a hairstylist. We've worked with her many times on set at Base Beauty. She's super talented, has a great origin story of how she got into the business. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Laura Slotkin. She's the founder of Nest Fragrances, and we recorded this one live at Saks Fifth Avenue. So I hope you enjoy the shows. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. I am sitting with, so happy to be sitting with, Eloise Chung, hairstylist. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi, how are you? It's great to see you again. You too. We've worked together many times. Yes. You're very talented. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm super excited to be able to share your story on our pod today. I'm trying to think back if we've actually had any hairstylists. We have only had, I think, one other hairstylist on our show so far. Oh, wow. Two years. Excited. Yeah. So thank you for being number two. Um, how will you be spending your day today? Today? just doing emails and things this morning, the usual, you know, nothing crazy exciting. It's a Monday after all. <laughs> you don't have a lot of work usually on Mondays? Um, sometimes, but today I'm not shooting, so it's ma- mainly organizational things when right. it happens. So, yeah. Right. So, we're going to talk a lot about the life of a freelancer in this business. Right. Um, it is exciting, but it is also grueling. But before we do that, I'd like to go backwards, back in time. Okay. So, you grew up in London? I did. I grew up in London. And your parents wanted you to have a stable career like being an engineer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, classic kind of Chinese upbringing of something. You know, my eldest brother was in, went into finance, and my middle brother became a lawyer. And then for me, they wanted something that was more stable, you know, one of those kind of classic doctor type things. But that wasn't the case. <laughs> so you went to school actually to be an engineer? I did, actually. Yeah, I studied engineering for a year at university and then figured out that I wasn't brainy enough for that. <laughs> and it wasn't my forte. So what happened next? So I met some people in the summer who were studying at Vidasa soon and doing a course there. And it was really interesting. We had like a really fun summer together. And I was actually just working at a Chinatown salon, you know, by chance, just doing sort of a Saturday girl job, doing shampooing and getting shouted at a lot, getting only paid £10 a day. But, um, no, I hung out with these guys from who were doing this Assumes course, and, you know, it was just super fun and creative and interesting, and they gave me the classic sort of graduated Assumes bob, and it was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. But then I went back to sort of my studying and training to be an engineer and everything. Um, but then I dropped out. So then it was like, well, where do I go from here? And then obviously my mum was like, we really want you, you know, you should, what about computer science? How about another degree? And I was like, oh, I'm just really over studying and being poor and not having money. And it's like, you know, there's got to be something else. Maybe I'm just not designed for a kind of classical, um, you know, education. So then I looked around. I had a really wonderful hairdresser at the time locally to me who shot for Hairdresser's Journal. And um, it just seemed, wow, that you, you do that kind of thing? You, like you need hair on a photo shoot? It was just really interesting. Um, so she put me in the 
the direction of like John Frieder and Nikki Clark, Trevor Sorby. I was like, well, if you're going to do it, you know, don't do a Sassoon's course because you'll do a, you know, a three-month course, a six-month course, which you're paying a lot of money for. And at the end of it, you're still going to have to do some sort of training and, and apprenticeship at a salon. So the best thing is just to get in with the salon and, you know, you're going to be networking, you're going to be meeting those, those clients face-to-face and they'll be getting used to you so that when you do go on the floor and have your own column that they'll, they'll be used to you and know you so I was like all right this is this is great and also you know they were the brilliant people at the time they had these fancy Mayfair salons with all the celebrities were going all the movie stars and the royalty and socialites everything so it was like okay great okay so I went in you know didn't have a clue about the whole business. Did you know that, like, you could cut hair? I mean, I can, I like hair, but it doesn't mean that I know how to cut hair. Well, actually, my mum always used to cut my hair for me growing up, so I always had, like, a little fringe and everything, so I was always, um, you know, had my mum do that, and, you know, she wasn't a trained hairdresser. However, she she was pretty dexterous with her hands, and she, you know, do a, a good job, except one time when I went to school, and I had this uh, one side of my haircut was longer than the other, and all the kids at school laughed at me. Oh, you're just ahead of your time. I was totally ahead of my time. The asymmetric look was very in. So yeah, so I was kind of used to people working with hair around me, and she'd cut my dad's hair and cut my brother's hair, mm-hmm. and it just didn't seem alien to me. And also, I loved reading sort of hairdressers' journal, the trade magazines, even before I was a hairdresser, because uh, they had those step-by-step guides, and you, you'd see, oh do this and you know, I did experiment on friends of mine at school so this was something that, like hair didn't come out of left field for you like it was kind of always a part of your life I think there was always some sort of stigma attached to it though it was mm. like you know sort of the back room massage parlor idea of it and it wasn't very well regarded I guess because mm-hmm. you know, there weren't that many celebrity hairdressers around at that time they were all sort of you know underground Right, so when you told your parents that you're quitting school, you, like, just quit and then told them, or you told them, I'm going to quit school? I sort of gave them an inkling that it was going to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't wasn't happy at university, wasn't doing well. So I was like, you know, something needed to shift or change. And, you know, being at a private school as well, and then dropping out of university, it was all very... <gasps> I mean, I remember we had a careers class at school and everybody went around the room. I was like, oh, so what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to go to Oxford. I'm going to I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be this. One girl said, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to go to university. And everyone was just aghast, <laughs> like shocked that she, you know, she didn't want to do something that was phenomenal and take over the world. Right. <laughs> There's, I think... Um, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that we all have to be doing that, yeah. right? Taking over the world. Absolutely. And we were an all-girls school, so it was, you know, like, women can change the world, suffragettes, you know, women's, even, even back then, mm-hmm. that was sort of the idea behind our school. Anyway, right. it was like, you know, incredible professional women. So, right, but can't we be incredible doing what we love, even oh, if it's not high absolutely. profile, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, that's the, um, the, the train I was on, let's say, in high school, right? I was surrounded by 
really talented, exceptionally smart people who were doing what you just said, right? They're going to change the world. Um, and I felt like I had to be on that train. Yeah. I didn't know I had a choice. There's just like so many paths to, towards that, that mm-hmm. goal. And you just, we don't think about it in that way. It's always just like, this is the tried and tested and this is how we're going to approach it and go about it. But there are, there's so many, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. Right. <laughs> right. So um, this salon, this person who told you that you don't even need to pay to go to school, just come work on a salon. They, they would actually pay you as an apprentice. It wasn't very much. It was like 300 pounds a month, mm-hmm. which is absolutely nothing. But you were getting this incredible education in hair and apprenticeship, and you were exposed to all the best people. And at the time that I joined the salon way back in 1996, you know, uh, with Kerry Warren, who was who I still believe he is the creative director at John Frieda. And he was working on Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut and working with George Michael on his solo career and all sorts. We had, you know, these incredible artists and this house of experts that, that John called it. Um, so it was, it was great. Right, but so these weren't time. just like neighborhood salons. Oh, no, no, no. This like major, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so how did you, how does one even get that job at like a really high-profile high salon as an apprentice? I just walked into these places, went to the front desk and was like, oh, hi, hi, I'm interested in, in training as a hairdresser. How do I go about that? And sort of handed over the CV that I'd had doing part-time jobs and Harvey Nichols or whatever and Selfridges at the time. And they were like, okay, great. So, you know, someone will call you or set up an interview. And, you know, yeah, I eventually got called, called back and had a little discussion over the phone as, as to what I was aiming for and what they needed and then went in for an interview with the head colorist at the time, Susan Baldwin, and they gave me a shot. That was at John Frieda? Yeah, that was at John Frieda. And before John Frieda, you were apprenticing in another salon? No, not other than the Chinatown oh. Saturday Girl job. Um, I'd, I'd never done hairdressing before. Right. So did you realize at the time that this was an exceptional opportunity? Nope. <laughs> It was something that was like, I have to do something, so let's just keep moving forward. And I knew I didn't want to do another degree. Right. And this is something that really interested me. So uh, I just sort of went for it. And I also interviewed at Trevor Sorby's and Nikki Clark's. But Nikki Clark's was the salon of the moment. So they were oversubscribed anyway. There were a million people who, who wanted to apprentice at Nikki Clark's. So there was no, no chance I was getting in there. But Nikki had actually cha- trained at John Frieda and worked at John Frieda's so had subsequently opened his own salon so I was like well I'd just go to the source I'll just go to John Frieda and I did sort of a, a trial day at each salon and I stayed for a, a training night at each salon too just to compare but John's was by far the most superior training out of, out of all of them, but was the most grueling work day. Because I, I was like, oh my God, I'm emptying dustbins and I'm like bringing trays of tea to people. This is grueling. I feel like I'm a maid or something. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is surely not the way that, you know, you learn how to do hair. But, um, but their training night was incredible. So I was like, okay, I can, I can tough this out. It'll be like two years of training and it worked out. So by day, you are the person doing errands and cleaning. You, 
well, there is actually a cleaner within the salon. However, you know, you're picking up towels, you're making sure the hair's all swept up and um, the clients are greeted when you arrive. You're normally assigned to a stylist for, I think, a period of three months or something. So you're shadowing one particular person and their client list and then taking care of them, um, just, yeah, making sure everything runs as smoothly as possible and kind of being a personal assistant to that stylist. Right, and then um, at night after the salon closes, was it like once a month you have a big training day? So it was every Wednesday and Thursday night you'd oh. have a training. Oh, wow, yeah. that's a lot of training. Yeah, it was it was incredible, and I feel like every, every other week we'd have an art lesson. So you'd have a drawing lesson to understand perspective and depth and John Fowler that was a really important part of, of your training to have a great eye and it really it did it really help so they were paying you to get educated yes <laughs> and is this very common in salons to have this level of education I don't believe I don't believe it is now it definitely was at the time um, but maybe John's approach was different I know at Trevor's they also had you know a couple of nights of training as well and you know you'd get a model in and go through it and you'd have different levels which you know was the same at both places right so. that's an exceptional opportunity that you found yourself in it was it's pretty Incredible, you know, looking back on it at the time, you know, you're like, oh, God, I'm just not making Right, you were just like a young girl, like, <laughs> handing out your resume to a bunch of cool salons. Yeah. Like, if I think about, like, if somebody did that today, like, walked around New York City and Soho and handed out their resume in a bunch of cool salons, nobody would get a phone call. Right. <laughs> right? So the fact that you got the opportunity to actually check out all the salons, mm-hmm. interview many of them, and then make your, a decision, this is a big deal. Yeah. It was, it was pretty good. <laughs> So, um, you know, now your your day is not in a salon, right, as a stylist? Yeah. No, now I'm mostly working on, on set or on location, commercial jobs, fashion, uh, editorial for magazines. Right. So um, is the path to doing the editorial and commercial work for a stylist always going to be through the salon? Not, not at all. I feel that most people will shadow someone who works editorially or who has an agent and does that more creative work these days. Um, the salon for me was just one, one route and I had exposure to those incredible stylists at the time. So they just led me that way. Right. So somebody who's listening who actually wants to learn and do what you do, she could actually interview with you to be your assistant and shadow you. Yeah, as long as they have some sort of basic background in hair where they've they've been through cosmetology school, that's something we don't have in England. You don't necessarily need a qualification to to be a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. You could just be, oh, okay, I'm going to open this shop right now and I'm I'm a hairdresser. And if people want to come to you, they come to you. We didn't, you know, it was an old-fashioned apprenticeship. Whereas, yeah, in America, you need the cosmetology license, so you have to execute X amount of hours in each different state, Mm -hmm. depending on which state it is, that, you know, you need to finish and complete and do all these different tasks, like being able to do manicures or color hair, uh, apply makeup, as well as cut and style hair. It's, like, all-encompassing. Right. It does seem a little bit um, strange that that's the license, since most people choose one. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know a lot of people who are colorists and stylists and manicurists and... Everything. And estheticians, right? <laughs> yeah. And makeup exactly. artists. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the life in the salon, because it really did lead you on this path, right? So right. you... Um, 
you get your own chair and you get your own clients and you um, have the opportunity to do um, great work at a salon, but then you're joining some of your peers and mentors on set and at fashion weeks and things like that. Right? I feel it even began before I, I qualified and, and had my own column as a hairdresser because when part of your training, we were uh, sponsoring London Fashion Week and people were doing shows out in Paris or they were working with Robbie Williams or Kylie or someone like that doing their, their music videos. So those artists always needed assistance. So you would go with you know, that person and, and help them out on that shoot. And I remember actually Danilo came over and he was doing Gwen Stefani's first album cover. So he, you know, didn't have a local assistant in London and he had some connection with, with John Fruda at that time. So I ended up being put on that job with Oh my him. God, no way. <laughs> and he's still her stylist. Yeah, he is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you got to work with Ben Stefani? Yeah. I got to, to meet Gwen mm-hmm. and work with her. And it was, yeah. But you were there for the beginning of their many decades of relationship. Not from the beginning. They already had a, a relationship with No Doubt. Uh-huh. And then he continued and continued. And still, you know, we're still friends today. He's incredible as an artist. But, it, you know, what a wonderful opportunity to be able to, to work with him and, and experience that. Right. So um, how many years was it into the salon world when you realized, like, that's what the life you wanted to be leading, the one that he did and being on set and being at fashion weeks and things like that? I was always reluctant to, to do that kind of... I always imagined my life being in the salon and, you know, doing all these society ladies and taking column. But it was actually my teachers who were like, oh, you're really good at this stuff and they always needed these um, magazine things like hair, hair how-tos and this is a look for going out or for Christmas parties and things like that and they would make me go on these sort of shoots for smaller magazines perhaps not maybe Vogue's and things but I'd cut my teeth on on these sort of editorials and, and beauty shoots so I, I was always kind of reluctant to go out on them um, I, I liked being in the salon and being around my friends and everything right and, and were you paid for those opportunities or you just yes oh really okay. <laughs> not loads but uh, yeah definitely you, yeah, you got paid something and then they fed you this great lunch and there was this um, really great, great studio at the time called I think it was James English Studio and they used to cook all of the lunch themselves so you'd always smell baking whilst you were shooting and then it'd be like lunchtime everyone we'd all sit down and have this wonderful lunch and it was you know it was just a, a nice day right so the um, people around you were pushing you into these opportunities but you really just wanted to hang in the salon yeah. so what shifted because you don't work in a salon anymore um I guess fashion shows it was the opportunity still to work with really great people like Ken O'Rourke and Kerry Warren Joel Gonsalves um, on these great shows so just having that exposure to fashion and then photography um, just being more creative as well was was interesting and just the lights and the glamour and all the models and the, the hubbub of it all mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, attractive, and then it was all like music videos too, and TV shows. It was a different side. And my dad was a TV director, so I was kind of used to being in a TV studio when I was younger as well. And I, that's why I went into engineering, is because I, I wanted to get into television and follow in my father's footsteps. So this was something like, oh wow, this is like something that's getting really close to what I was aiming for. 
when he was um, working on TV shows and you were a kid, were you ever going on set with him? I did. I actually uh, did some sort of exercise things that were on the, the morning shows. So you were a kid and you got to be on set, so didn't you see the hair and makeup room when you were little? Not when I was, not when I was on those things. I think we just came in kind of camera ready. I had my little pigtails and my new outfit that right. my dad had promised me. So um, I didn't really see that side of it at all. So, um, you know, I think it's so interesting to um, listen to your journey because it, none of it sounds super intentional, right? You had certainly friends growing up who were like, I want to save the world, and there was intent there. And it seems like things just, you were able to go with the flow and find something that you enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but there was a point where you shifted from working in a salon completely and now working completely freelance. Right. So wh what was that moment and how did that shift happen? Um, I, I was working with Claudia Schiffer a lot at the time in the salon and I'd just done a cover of Vogue with her for, for German Vogue and I just feel like I'd reached my pinnacle in that salon I couldn't advance anymore because there were obviously people ahead of me there and yeah I just think the next step because of meeting agents as well along the way and seeing how other people in my niche were, were doing it it was like oh, okay the next step is probably to work with an agent and be more exposed to, to that type of client so when you worked with Claudia for the shoot she asked you to do her hair yeah I was working with her for, for a bit at the time and um, on different projects and I'd go around to her house and do her hair for events and everything as well and then just ended up um, doing sort of more like L'Oreal shoots and mm -hmm. all sorts of working with David Bailey you know incredible for it was for a charity shoot that was so incredible so you're um, very low key and modest when you're talking about these <laughs> things um, that most people would be like screaming and like wearing a t-shirt say like I, I did Claudia Shepard's hair for many years right um, people be advertising that quite loud why why are you um, so quiet about it and reserved about it I don't know I just don't view it as anything different I really just love doing people's hair and really enjoy making them feel good about themselves and that stemmed even from the salon I wasn't doing you know it could be Mrs. Jones everyday ladies got her kids and housewife or something but it just gave me the same joy as it did with working celebrities so I didn't see the that I needed to shout about that right, right. <laughs> it just so happened that that person Person that I was working with at the time was was you know famous. But it doesn't mean that they're any better or any worse than anyone else. Right. So um, let's talk about life as a freelancer, okay? Because this is um, a really different way to um, not just make an income, but have to plan out your personal time, right? Because you get paid per job. Yes. Right? It's not like you sit in an office and get a paycheck every two weeks. Yeah. So I have friends in the business, whether they're stylists or makeup artists, and, um, you know, they've said that their personal life suffers because, well, how could they not take that next gig, right? Um, but it might mean missing a baby shower or a wedding shower or a girl's trip or something like that to accomplish that. Um, how do you organize your time so that you have your work time and you make the money you want to make and build those relationships but also protect your personal time um, 
You basically don't. You accept this lifestyle of everything's very last minute, especially these days. I feel like in the early days, you know, your clients shot particular times of the year and they gave you a heads up of a month or two. Like, oh, we just want to block out dates between this date and this date. We're pro probably going to shoot in, you know, New York on, on those dates. So you knew. But nowadays, you can be called up. Hey, what are you doing in an hour? Uh, so-and-so needs their hair done. They, they're actually going to attend this award ceremony last minute. Um, can you go over to their hotel and, and do their hair? And it's like, a, okay, yeah, or no. <laughs> you say no, you know, you lose out on a lot of things. So you have to be ready, a lot of this, ready to go. I got called up to do a video for Pharrell one time, and it was in Miami. I was on a job that day shooting, and I was like, oh, so when does he, he need this done? When, when are they shooting? Oh, you need to fly tonight. And I was like, okay. Um, oh, and they're like, okay, you have an hour to pack everything and then get on the flight. And it happened. You know, we were down there for a few days uh, shooting the Hypnotize Me video. But it was it was super last minute, and you, it's that whole thing when you get called like that, and you just like panic, panic. But in a way, you, you're sort of ready because you you know you know that this might happen. And I guess I'd lost out previously on jobs that I I couldn't do because mm -hmm. I, I wasn't prepared. So I was like, okay, you know these incredible opportunities come up, and I'm going to be ready this time. My my kit's going to be packed. I'm going to you know I know what to take with me if I if that happens again. Right. So you plan for the fact that everything in your business is completely last minute yeah. and that you don't have time to get organized. So you have to always have a fully packed kit to be ready and have all your favorite products ready with you. Um, just, just in case you get that call, because, right. you know, you'll, you'll kick yourself if you, if you miss out on these things. And because I'm such a person who just goes with the flow and, and doesn't plan anything out, it's just like, Oh, this is kind of meant to be this. And it's exciting. Right. So that definitely would uh, be a career that fits your personality then, right? If you were someone who can go with the flow you have to be easygoing and flexible yeah with with everything right Absolutely. because if you're a rigid person who required a lot of advanced notice oh, you would no. not have the type of career that you have I don't think so no yeah, I feel like you do have to have some give right so the salon side would actually be better for somebody who needs if you to want plan. More, yeah who has wants more stability and you know your hours and you know your days but even even within the salon you know you can you can get people who are like oh you know I've got I've got to get this flight out really early would you mind doing me at seven in the morning I know the salon doesn't open till nine and there, there's sort of extra extra hours that you you have to put in and, and sacrifice to right um but you know you just it's got it's what it's worth to you it's it's what are, what are you interested in I mean you know I'm single I don't have any children at the moment so I can go with that but down the line you know things may change right right so, so are you really a one day at a time kind of person I think I, I think I am pretty much I, I, I like to take it as it comes mm -hmm. I'm not, I you know have goals and ambitions and things however I can definitely just move with with how everything is happening well thank you so much for sharing your wisdom yeah. with us today so nice to have you <laughs> on the you show for me. of course and for our listeners I hope you enjoyed this interview with Eloise please subscribe to our series on iTunes and for updates about the show follow us on Instagram at where brains meet beauty podcast for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic
Conversations with